Welcome to the STEM Sessions Podcast. I am your host, Jarl Cody. I've played ice hockey since high school, and I've been playing in adult leagues for over 20 years with the same group of guys for at least half of that. My team currently has 12 skaters on the roster. Now, we're all busy guys, and on any given week, it seems two to five of us miss the game. I mean, life happens. We're very used to playing with seven or eight guys, despite getting older, and most of us have the experience to play every position to some level of success, so we just roll with whatever line combinations are necessary that week. However, about once a season, maybe every other season, we have to hit the ice with seven forwards, and that flexibility and sensibility that we're all used to just falls apart. Our bench descends into chaos. No one can figure out who gets on the ice next. And and I mean, guys on my team aren't dumb. We have engineers, guys in tech, in finance, in medicine, business owners, teachers, writers. Yet we still spend the entire first period floundering when we have seven forwards and have to run a rotator. Once or twice, I've been so frustrated, I moved myself from defense to forward and played as the rotator just to stop the insanity. Well, I finally have decided that enough's enough. I set out to determine the optimal way to run the rotator using math and rational thinking. I I just figured there had to be an easier way to find it. And that's what this episode is all about. This is the STEM Sessions Podcast, episode 22, The Seventh Forward. In a game of ice hockey, each team has six players on the ice. One goalie, two defensemen, and three forwards, a center, a right wing, and a left wing. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to focus on the forwards. Now, during the game, each NHL team will dress usually 20 players, two goalies for the starter and a backup, six defensemen, and 12 forwards that are divided into four lines. Typically, the two top forward lines and the two top defensive pairs get the bulk of the playing time. Now, in adult recreation leagues, or beer leagues as we will commonly call them, rosters aren't that large, and playing time should be more or less equal. And line combos need to be flexible depending on who makes it to the game. With six or seven skaters means everybody plays every position and you just kind of figure it out on the ice. With eight or nine skaters, you'll typically have three defensemen and the rest as forwards. With ten skaters, well, you've got two forward lines and two defensive pairs. That's basically perfect. With 12 and 13 skaters... You will typically run four defensemen with the rest as forwards, though, to be perfectly honest, nobody wants to play with that many skaters. 11 skaters is really the only number that feels weird. If you go with three defensemen and eight forwards, well, that leads to unbalanced playing time. While four defense and seven forwards is better in terms of playing time, arranging the forwards is complicated. I mean, what do you do with that seventh forward? Some teams run three left wings, two centers, and two right wings, or, you know, similar arrangements, but that really isn't fair to the skaters playing the position with three people. So most teams will run a rotator, meaning one skater 
moves through the forward line, swapping in for a different player each shift and then sitting out every fourth shift. Theoretically, this minimizes discrepancy in playing time among forwards, but how do we determine the best way to run the rotator through the forward lines? The first approach I used was to look at playing time. If the number of minutes in a period is P, then the number of minutes in a game is three times P. Now, if you ignore penalty kills, three forwards on the ice means a total of nine times P minutes to share among all the forwards. If there are two even lines of forwards, each gets nine P divided by six or 1.5 times P of playing time. Now, when you have the rotator, each forward should get 9p divided by 7, or 1.28p of playing time. That makes sense and is obvious in hindsight, but it really doesn't do anything to tell me how to achieve that balance in playing time. So I next looked at the number of shifts because that's more controllable during the game, or at least it seems to be more controllable. It takes four shifts for the rotator to move through one line. That's one shift at each position and then a shift sitting. During that series, the second line has three shifts. Therefore, seven shifts total are required to make a complete rotation. And during that rotation, all seven forwards each have three shifts. Therefore, the ideal number of shifts in a game is some multiple of seven. To determine the ideal shift length, let's call the shift length S. The total minutes in a game is 3P, as we discussed above. Therefore, shift length, or S, is 3P divided by 7N, where 7N is the seven shifts of one rotation times a whole number multiplier. In other words, S equals 0.43p divided by n. In my case, we play 14-minute periods. So at seven shifts, the ideal shift length would be six minutes, which is just ridiculous. At 14 shifts, or two times seven, the ideal shift would be three minutes. Um, it's a bit more manageable, but it's still on the long side. 21 shifts equals two-minute shifts length ideal, ideally. 28 would be one and a half minutes, 35 shifts would be 1.2 minutes, and so on. So that tells us the number of shifts to target, but it still doesn't really tell us how to rotate. So being the engineer that I am, and with an elegant mathematical solution seemingly very far from my grasp, I decided to brute force it. I pulled up Excel, I designated line one as L1, C1, R1 and L2 as L2, C2, and R2, and I designated the rotator as X. In Excel, I constructed a number of scenarios varying in the number of shifts per period. It's important to note I used shifts per period instead of shifts per game. On the negative side, this means there are some multiples of seven shifts that just aren't possible but it's more realistic to not have shifts carry over from period to period when you look at how most beer league games are run. I also compared sitting the rotator on the first shift versus playing him, on, playing him on the first shift, and I also looked at whether the rotator should switch lines after each rotation or wait until the midway point of the game. 
So here's what I concluded. Rule number one, the rotator should switch lines after each rotation. When alternating lines, seven shifts per period and 14 shifts per, per period results in nine and 18 shifts for each forward respectively. Now, if you compare those shift scenarios to their counterparts, when the rotator switches lines at mid game, the rotator will always lose a shift. Other shifts per period scenarios see similar, if not more severe losses for the rotator. Rule number two, the rotator shall start in line one and shall be on ice the first shift. Now this is less important than the first rule, but it still should be followed. In seven shifts and 14 shifts per period, the forwards will have an equal number of shifts regardless if the rotator plays or sits to start. But in other scenarios, the rotator will always be at a deficit if he doesn't start the game on the ice. Of course, this means if the rotator isn't at a deficit in shifts, another forward is, but I think the rotator should be rewarded for keeping it all running smoothly. And rule number three, the rotator should be the strongest forward. Now, if you follow the two rules above, the rotator will have as many shifts as the other forward, even more in some scenarios. So if you use a strong forward at rotator, you're maximizing his or her effectiveness. Now in the end, most complaints about the rotator are due to the imbalanced playing time, though I think we tend to exaggerate that imbalance in our heads. Regardless of how you run the rotator, you're unlikely to end the game with equal shifts just because of how the game itself is played. Even if you do everything perfectly, penalty kills or one line getting trapped in your zone for an extended period of time is always going to leave someone short-shifted. So perhaps the most important takeaway is this. Short shifts minimize playing time imbalances. Regardless of the math, this holds true. In some of the scenarios I created, there was a three-shift difference amongst forwards. Now, if you're taking two-minute shifts, that's a difference of six minutes in playing time. But if you're only taking one-minute shifts, that imbalance is cut in half. And if you're skating hard, I promise you won't even know you're missing those minutes. Unfortunately, keeping shifts short is not a skill practiced by most beer league teams. So, in the end, perhaps we will always be doomed to be tormented by the rotator. Thank you for listening to the STEM Sessions podcast. This episode was researched, written, and produced by Jarl Cody. Here at the STEM Sessions, we strive to share accurate and complete information, but we also encourage you to do your own research on the topic we discussed to confirm the accuracy of what we've presented. Corrections are always welcome. Show notes, contact information, and details of our other activities can be found on our website, thestemsessions.com. If you received value from this episode and wish to give some back, please visit thestemsessions.com slash value for value for ways to support the podcast. Finally, please remember STEM is not a tool exclusive to experts, policymakers, and talking heads. Every presenter is susceptible to unconscious and sometimes deliberate bias, so always verify what you read and what you're told. Until the next one, stay curious.